Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Exodus how God called Moses and how Moses was willing to accept God's call and adopt God's broken heart and determination to deliver the Jewish people. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Hello, and I'd like to welcome you again to our study in this wonderful book of Exodus. And let's just begin to ask God to help us. Lord, we need you every day, but especially when we open your book, the Bible. We need you, Lord, precious Lord, to teach us, to open our eyes, to reveal to us, Lord, the truths that you have within your word. We thank you, Lord, that you want to do this, and we thank you even now for answering our prayer in advance, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we're going to continue on, if you uh, have your Bible there, turn it open to Exodus chapter 3. As you can say, we're spending a little bit of time here in Exodus, and so as a result, the pages on my Bible are curling up, but anyway, they're still readable. Exodus chapter 3. Just for context, we'll read this part here, beginning at verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, in our last study, we've really been focusing down here on verses 7 and 8 and seeing how important to Revelation this is of exactly who is Jehovah Jesus. And we saw from verse 7 how emphatic he was about having the affliction of the people of his people, the Jewish people of Israel, having that affliction front and center before his face. As he said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. We saw how not only did he see their affliction, but he heard his people who were crying to him. As he said, I've heard their cry by reason of the taskmasters. So he saw And he heard, and these are the themes here as we're looking at this verse. He saw, and he heard, and he knew. He saw, he heard, he felt. And we're going to be looking today at exactly what it meant when he saw, what it meant when he heard, what it meant when he knew their sorrows. And he saw this, and he said, I've heard their cry by reason of the taskmasters. Now, there is this psalm, this wonderful psalm in the center of the Bible that predicts the suffering, it describes the suffering, it describes the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sins. 
Because here in this verse, Psalm twenty-two, twenty-four, 24, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. It's speaking about him. And what it says there about him, it says these words, For he hath not despised, nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him, in other words, from the afflicted, But when he, in other words, the afflicted, when he cried unto him, he heard. Now, the position of that verse is very, very important. That's verse 24 in Psalm 22. And it's a very important verse. It's a very important position. Why? Because Psalm 22 has two parts to it. The first part of Psalm 22 goes from the beginning, from verse 1, all the way to verse 21. And in that part, we have a very intimate, close description of the suffering and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection right there in those 21 verses there. That's very, very important. That's part one. It's a description of the sufferings of his death, of his resurrection there in the first 21 verses. Now, the second part of Psalm 22 is from verse 22 on to the end, verse uh, 31. But in verse 24 is obviously in the second part, and that's important because that means that verse 24 is after, or in consequence, you might say, of his death and resurrection. So it's after his death, it's after his resurrection, where we find him saying in verse 24 that he's not about to despise. He's not going to abhor the affliction of the afflicted, and he's not going to hide his face from the afflicted. And when the afflicted cries, he promises to hear. So again, following his death, following what he went through and all the sufferings of his so-called passion there, of his death and his resurrection, following that, he comes forth out of that in the resurrection with a new resolve, a resolve that he is not going to despise the affliction of the afflicted. He's not going to abhor their affliction. He's not going to hide his face from them. He is going to hear when they cry. So that verse coming after the description of his death and his resurrection, it tells us when we consider its place in verse 24 there, after the suffering, death, and resurrection, it tells us why he's not going to despise. It tells us why he's not going to abhor the affliction of the afflicted. It tells us why. It gives us impact and power to understand the impact and the force of these words as to why he's not going to hide his face, why he is going to hear when the afflicted call. Why? Because, it's the second part, because the first part is his own personal experience. That's the power behind the statement in Exodus 3.8 where we read, I know their sorrows. That's a very powerful statement that he's making, and we can't understand the power of that statement until we look at something like Psalm 22, and then we understand that, of course, he was familiar, and he knew the information about that, and it's true also when this is written, he hadn't died on the cross yet or been raised from the dead. That's going to happen over a thousand years later. But he is God the Son. He's God the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he has the ability, unlike us, to look down the tunnel of time and to see what was happening in the future, what's going to happen in the future, as if it's happening right now. We can't do that, but he can. And that's why when you look at a verse like Revelation 13.8, it speaks about 
those whose names are written in the book of life. And then it makes this statement. It's the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, wait a minute. It says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. How could the lamb be slain from the foundation of the world? The lamb was slain 2,000 years ago, what we call zero or 33, whatever. But anyways, it, it happened at a certain point in time. And 2,000 years ago was not the time from the foundation of the world. That was much earlier, right? So what does it mean here in Revelation 13, 8, where it speaks about the lamb slain from the foundation of the world? That's God. God is able to look at an event from the foundation of the world and to see it and experience it as if it was right now. He is outside of the limitation of time. We are bound. We are creatures of time. We are bound by time. Not God. God can look and see and experience. So we don't get hung up by the fact that the cross has not happened yet in Exodus 3. We don't get hung up by that because we're talking about God here. And because we're talking about God, he has this ability. So when he says, I know their sorrows, he's speaking from the experience of the cross, even though it hasn't happened yet. And when Jehovah Jesus says, I know their sorrows, in verse 8 here of chapter 3 of Exodus, he's referring to his own sufferings for sins, for our sins. And that's how he knows. It's not just a knowledge, but it's a heart experience. And so, in fact, when he says that I know their sorrows, it means he knows from personal experience. And when we think about that, of course, we live on this side of the cross, so it's easier for us to understand. But nevertheless, when we think of that, that when he says, I know their sorrows here, that he's speaking from the personal experience of the cross, that makes him for us the great, great high priest. The Gadol, Gadol, Kohan, the, the great, great high priest. And that's brought out for us. And that's what the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 is communicating for us when it says these words, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. So those are great words there. It talks about what we have. We have a great high priest. Our high priest is so great because our high priest can be touched. It's such a personal, intimate word, touched. He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And what we read here in Exodus 3.8, when it says, I know their sorrows, he was touched with the feeling of their sorrows. He was touched by it. The feeling of our infirmities as it speaks of there in Hebrews 4.15 but was an all-point tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So we have sin, but he does not. We have sorrows, he has sorrows. We have weaknesses, he had weaknesses when he was here. We are very much affected, and he is very much touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now, that knowledge that he has comes from the fact that he became a man, and he became a man with the weaknesses of a man, and he suffered as a man. When we really grab a hold of that, when that truth grabs a hold of us, when we really get into that, it will have an effect on us, and the effect is described in the next verse, in verse 16, where it says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The effect that it will have on us is that it will give us a boldness, a boldness. It's saying it when it comes to the department of us needing mercy and us needing grace, 
Then when we focus on how he knows our sorrows, as he said in Exodus 3, 7, when he says that, for I know their sorrows, when we really focus on why he knows our sorrows, because he humbled himself and became a man, and he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin, but he was touched with the feeling of our infirmities because he had those infirmities himself. When we get a hold of that, that will generate within us a great boldness to come to God's throne and get mercy and grace that we need in time of trouble. So from verse 7, we now can see that we have a new name for God. We love these names of God. We love the names of the Lord. Why? Because we put them in our toolbox and we use them. We call on God. He said, I need, I need God to be compassionate. So I'm going to call on the name of the Lord, the Lord who knows our sorrows. That's the name. The name, the Lord who knows our sorrows. And then we get mercy and grace in time of need. New name. Now, the chapter in the Bible that gives the real body behind the statement in verse 7, Exodus 3, 7, I know their sorrows, the chapter that really gives the body to it is Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the chapter that gives the body, it gives the meaning, it gives the depth. We can understand by this statement, I know their sorrows. So if you please turn to Isaiah 53. Now, first of all, we can ask the question. From Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, where he says, I know their sorrows, we could raise the question, how? How did he know their sorrows? Now we look at Isaiah 53, 3, third verse Isaiah, and we read these words. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Isaiah 53, again, the other chapter goes along with Psalm 22. Isaiah 53, describing the sufferings of the cross that made him so familiar with sorrow. It made him so knowing what sorrow was by his own personal experience that he's got a name here, another new name for the Lord. The name is a man of sorrows. Lord, the man of sorrows, oh, the power that comes when we call on that name from our toolbox. He is the Lord, the man of sorrows. That's his name. And so therefore we understand. Now we understand. Another question we get from Exodus 3, 7, when he said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people from Exodus 3, 7. And we ask the question, how? How did he see the affliction of his people? How did that work? Go now to Isaiah 53, 4 for this answer where it says, surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now, Isaiah 53, 4 explains to us an aspect of these afflictions that's very, very important to understand. What kind of afflictions was he going through there? It explains to us that the afflictions that he experienced on the cross were because God was afflicting him. They were burdensome because God was afflicting him. That's what it says there. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. And he was stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. So we esteemed it right because that's, in fact, what was happening. How do we know that? Because it says just a few verses down in the 10th verse of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. 
What does that mean? It means that God afflicted him. God bruised him. Just like the song goes, Jehovah lifted up his rod. Oh Christ, it fell on thee. See, to be afflicted by God, which is what happened here, is the worst type of affliction because that's the Supreme Court. God is the Supreme Court. There ain't no appeal beyond that. In other words, there's no one to appeal to. If God is the one who's doing the affliction, there's no one to appeal to. That's it. That's why it says in Hebrews 10, 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And it was a fearful thing when the Lord Jesus Christ fell into the hands of the living God to be afflicted, to be bruised. It was a fearful thing. Now, why did this happen? Why was he being afflicted by God? Why was it God that was afflicting him? Well, the reason is, is given in Isaiah 53, verse 6, the sixth verse, because it explains our problem and God's solution. Our problem is described as this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. What's our problem? Waywardness, independence from God, my way. Frank Sinatra doing it my way. That's the problem. That's S-I-N, sin. That comes from P-R-I-D-E, pride. Pride. I know better than God. I'm not going to have this man rule over me. I'm not going to have God rule over me. I'm going to run my own life. That is what is described here. That is like all we like being a sheep and going astray and turning everyone to whose way? Our way. It's my way. I'm the master of my own destiny. Nobody tells me what to do. I do what I want to do because I turn everyone to my own way. I turn to my own way. See, that's the description of the problem in Isaiah 53, 6. But God's solution, praise God, there's no period there, because right away we have the word and, which is now God's remedy, God's solution, and God's solution is the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, that was the plan of God. The plan of God to save us from our sins was to lay on him the iniquity of us all. That's explained over and over and over again. That is a thread that we keep seeing appear throughout Isaiah 53. We see this thread of God's plan to redeem us, to justify us, to save us from our sins. And we see it over and over and over again. And that's it in Isaiah 53, 6. It appears there where it says, The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Down in verse 11, For he shall bear their iniquities. And again in verse 12, He bore the sin of many. And as he said, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The thread keeps appearing over and over again of our waywardness, God's solution to lay on him the iniquity of us all, that he should bear the sins of many and he should be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That's God's plan. So what we see there is that he was being afflicted by God. But there's another aspect of this as well in Isaiah 53, 7, when it speaks about he was oppressed and he was afflicted. 
So his afflictions were oppressive. They were burdensome. It's amazing that he was able to bear up under this oppressive affliction that was on him from the cross. So when we read these words in Exodus 3, 7, where it says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. When we couple that together with Isaiah 53, the power of this word surely comes through. I have surely seen the affliction of my people. He not only saw the affliction, but he knew from his own personal experience exactly what the people were going through who were being afflicted. And then he says also in Exodus 3, 7, I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. See, I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. What did he feel like? What does this mean when it says he heard their cry? How did he feel? Now, we've already seen from Psalm 22, 24, how when he emerged from the sufferings, from the death, from the resurrection, the cross, with a personal, firsthand experience of how important it is to be heard by God. He knew that. He knew that of how important it was to be heard by God. And so he comes off, he's resurrected now to the right hand of the Father, and now he's got this new resolve, this new resolve from his own personal experience. He's resolved to not despise. He's resolved to not abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He's resolved to not to hide his face from the afflicted. And he's resolved here the call of the afflicted. All these resolutions from his own personal experience. Why did he say in Psalm 22 that he would not despise the affliction of the afflicted? Why? Because of what happened to him. In Isaiah 53, 3, as we saw, he is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Twice in that verse 3 of Isaiah 53, it uses the word despised, despised. What does it mean to be despised? He was detested. He was hated. He was loathed. Just how much the ruler, Pilate, gave to the people a choice. He says, I'm setting a choice between you now. You make the choice. I am going to set on one hand Jesus, and on the other hand, I am going to set a terrorist a murderer named Barabbas. So he sets him up there. And then he says, now it's your choice. You tell me who you want me to release to you. And the record is given in in Matthew 27, 21. The governor answered and said unto them, whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? See, there it is. He set it all up. He says, now you make your choice and by your choice, you will show me who you esteem. You will show me who you despise. And they not only did that before our pilot, they were doing that before God. God was watching also as his son in whom he was well pleased. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ was on one hand And Barabbas and all he stood for, wickedness, murder, terrorism, was on the other hand. And the record says in Matthew 27, 21, they said Barabbas. They chose Barabbas. And then in Luke 23, 18, they cried out all at once, saying, away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. They said, we'd rather have the terrorist. We'd rather have the murderer Barabbas. Release him and for him, away with him. And then later on in Luke 23, 21, a few verses later, they cried saying, crucify him crucify him. That was a choice. That was a decision they made, but that was a revelation to everybody of how much they despised 
him and wanted him destroyed. So when it says in Isaiah 53, 3, he is despised and rejected of men. In other words, they chose Barabbas, they rejected him. They said, we'd rather have Barabbas. We despise him is what they said. And it says he was acquainted with grief. And of course, he was a man of sorrows and we can understand. And it says, and we hid as it were our face from him. So they said, away with him. We don't want to see him anymore. We hid as it were our face from him. And then it says, he was despised and we esteemed him not. We understand. Now, the Jewish people in Egypt here were despised and they were rejected by the Egyptian people. But as one who has been despised, as one who has been rejected, he has resolved he would not despise, he would not reject the Jewish people in Egypt. And you know what's happening today? As we see today the tide of world opinion turning towards the Palestinians and against the Jewish people. Just today, Google has made their decision to elevate an area of Israel, which they called the territory before. Now they've elevated it, Google has, they've elevated it to a state called Palestine. Changed their maps, changed their search engines, everything. And so as this begins to happen, Google and others leading the way, that of turning towards the enemies of the Jewish people and turning against the Jewish people, we're going to see again How even with all the Holocaust museums and all the cities of the world, how again the Jewish people will find themselves as they were in Egypt, a despised people, a rejected people. And that will, we're not looking forward to this happening at all, but we're looking forward to what will happen when they will then turn to the God who was despised and rejected of men, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he'll save them. What a day. Today's message and other messages are available at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or again, call us today for more information at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening.